Welcome to the Modern Mobility Podcast, brought to you by Modern Mobility Partners. This podcast is for transportation planners and enthusiasts who want to learn practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges. And now, here are your co-hosts, certified transportation planners, national experts, and thought leaders, Kelly Kemp and Kirsten Moat. Welcome to episode 12 of the Modern Mobility Podcast. I am Kelly Kemp. And I'm Kirsten Moat. And we are your co-hosts today. In today's episode, we're going to go through 10 steps to planning for the transit system of the future. And we have a very special guest host here today with us, Sherry Dawson, also with Modern Mobility Partners. Sherry, say hello. Hey, hey. (laughs) Hey, hey. Okay. (laughs) We're off to a great start. So before we get into our, our 10 steps, I'll give you a little bit of background here. So first of all, When we're looking ahead in the public transit sector space, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. You know, there are many exciting opportunities to expand and improve our existing transit networks, but there is a lot of work that does need to be done going forward. Uh, First of all, throughout the United States, transit agencies are still in a transition period and we need to create more resilient systems after the pandemic. Uh, while also staying on track with plans for the future systems. So, you know, trying to take care of what we have, uh, but also prepare for the future. And, you know, there are agencies and cities that are going through several changes, uh, you know, demographic and cultural changes, technological advances, um, economic shifts, and most recently declining ridership. In 2019, before the pandemic, transit agencies across the country actually saw ridership increases for the first time in almost a decade. That was a pretty big deal. And then here came COVID-19 and the ridership plummeted. Yeah. So, I mean, can we talk about the impacts of COVID on transit for just a second? I mean, lots of agencies have had to reduce their service because of low ridership and a lack of employees. So, I think, you know, as we talk about the future of transit and as Sherry walks through the steps, I think it's going to be important that we also understand that outside of technology or some of these other shifts, like there's an immediate need to figure out how do we keep everybody safe who's riding transit, both the riders and the employees. Uh, But how do we also attract and retain workers into this industry again? You know, is that through some retention program, increase in wages, or do we focus our attention on more automation within transit that doesn't require, you know, physical personnel? So I don't know if y'all have any thoughts on that. Well, no, I think I think that's a really good point, Kirsten. And and the other thing I would just say, as it relates to, you know, decreasing transit ridership, that will hopefully increase again later. You know, a lot of times, Other folks in the industry might be like, well, you know, transit or the public may think, well, no one's using transit. So why are we investing all this money into it? And or there's not very many people using it. Let me put it that way. It's not always about the number of people using it. It's about making sure that we have mobility options for all because not everyone has access to a car. And so we need to make sure that people equitable access to jobs. And so looking at it more holistically in an equitable manner, as well as just looking at different transit types is something that we'll talk about today as well. 
Also, in the more immediate term, many agencies and cities are looking to address funding concerns and workforce challenges, as as Kirsten mentioned. And in the long term, there's a big focus on improving the rider experience to retain existing users and then to lure in new transit users. And also, as, as Kirsten mentioned, exploring new technologies. So that could include electric vehicle transit fleet, autonomous vehicles or shuttles, mobility as a service. And so we'll talk a lot about particularly mobility as a service in our next episode. And we'll give you a little um, teaser on that later in this one. And then also, you know, looking at expanding the hours of service and the frequencies in current service. So that way we're reducing service gaps. Yeah. So what are potential implications for the public? I mean, the future of transit systems will continue to play an integral role for people who do not drive. And and those may be people who don't have access to a personal automobile. Could be people who can't drive, like children, people with disabilities, older adults, but also people who choose to use an alternative mode of transportation and just choose not to drive. And the more we invest in and plan for the transit system of the future, it will better connect people to places both new and old, as well as other possibilities. It'll help continue to build thriving communities by creating these modal options. It'll help create jobs, not just jobs related to the transit, but also bring jobs to the area of companies that want to locate around transit. It can and will have an impact on congestion, uh, freeing up some of the interstates, the more people you can get onto transit. It'll help promote a cleaner environment, especially as we talk about some of the clean options that are coming uh, with transit that I know Sherry's going to get into. And ultimately, transit does have an impact on the economy. So whether you ride transit or not, these types of transportation options, transit, whether it's rail or buses or whatever, uh, really does impact everybody's quality of life and daily life. You know, you make a a good point there real quick, Kirsten, on attracting large employers. You know, we have um, several Fortune 500 employers here in Atlanta and other companies. And when they come in and relocate to Atlanta, they're looking for access to MARTA train stations. They want to be within close walking distance, if not right on top of MARTA train stations. So and that obviously is going to create jobs. So even if you're not taking MARTA or transit, you know, you're going to benefit from it. Yep, exactly. So I kind of want to transition and talk a little bit about our role as transportation planners. So as planners, you know, I think with all modes and thinking about the future, we as transportation planners have to remain flexible and stay on top of the latest trends across transportation. And so that's why it's so important that, you know, we continue to do research and we do professional development throughout the year to understand what may be going on in other parts of the country or in other parts of the world. And and some of these like bleeding edge technologies, at least then we know what may be coming. We also have to think about what are the right tools like geographic information systems or GIS. Planners can use these tools to help us make quicker decisions to address these challenges that the transit system faces. And so I think really leveraging the tools that are out there 
or even creating our own tools for specific use. We can also use origin and destination information, and more and more of that is becoming readily available with, they've been using cellular phones for a long time, but even that technology has has grown significantly, and you can get really detailed information on how people travel, where they travel. We can also use ridership and demographic data. In fact, I think the 2020 census was just released. So we have a whole new set of demographic data to look into. And we use this data to help us develop recommendations that move transit systems to a safe, equitable, and efficient system in the future. So that's a, that's a lot of information about you know, kind of transit in general. But today, we really want Sherry to be the star of the show um, and talk about nine steps to planning for transit of the future. So Sherry, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thanks, Kirsten. We could have 10 steps. We could have a million steps because we really don't know where transit's going. But as a first step, you kind of need to understand what the existing transit network is. But before we get into this step, I think it's important to highlight a few things. As much as we may try to envision what transit is going to look like a few years from now or even tomorrow, we have absolutely no idea (laughs) what the future of public transit is going to look like. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Americans were reintroduced to the importance of public transit from getting our essential and frontline workers to their jobs and even helping our communities to access food and PPE when everything else around us came to a crashing halt, like nothing was open. Y'all remember that, don't you? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) We're all going crazy. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. And before COVID-19 and even to this day, environmental concerns continue to be on the rise. Americans are more aware of the added health benefits of public transit over the personal automobile. And more and more people are actually opting out of owning a personal automobile and using alternative modes of transportation to get to work, school, and play. I think we've talked about this before. It seems like, mm-hmm. especially the younger generation, say the same thing. Like yeah. they do, they do not want to drive. They do. They don't want the responsibility. And so, you know, I think it's going to be really important for them as they grow into independent adults uh, yes. that they have access to transit because. They're not going to be getting rides from mom and dad forever. I know. I am ashamed (laughs) to say that I think the last time we talked about this, Kirsten, which was a couple of months ago, I think I said that um, my 16-year-old and I had three driving lessons. We've now had four. (laughs) Progress. One lesson in the past few months. They still only have their learner's permit. So they're just hoping to get their driver's license by the time they're 17 maybe 18 and they know they're not getting the car so yeah i have conditioned but, them well and you've <laughs> you've also moved to a location i'm not going to give your specific location out on the airwaves but uh you're you're really close <laughs> to transit knocking down my door <laughs> you know it's personal security kelly we're becoming yes. celebrities <laughs> but you're close to transit and so yeah. you know your kids as they get older have that option if they need to yeah. make trips and don't have to rely on you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're right. And I mean, even my nephew, he lives, I mean, he's out of town now he's in college, but when he lived here and he was in the burbs, 
he wasn't even jumping at the chomping at the bit to get his license. I think he was 17, maybe close to 18. You know, I mean, and, you know, and now he doesn't have a car because he's in college. And it's just not as big of a deal as it once was. So which I think is a good thing. Yeah. You know. OK. Sorry, Sherry. No, it's fine. Continue. <laughs> I mean, I want to chime in. I actually went yeah. a few years without a car and probably one city that people would say that they would need a car. I actually made it work for quite a few years. Like everything really? was accessible. They don't have rail there. It's just buses. There was an wow. Amtrak station not too far from me, but I made it work and I actually loved it. What city what city was this in? Raleigh. Raleigh, North Raleigh, Carolina. It was, okay. All right. Yeah. So Raleigh doesn't have rail? No. Where have I been? Good lord. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. All right. I just assumed. I should not have assumed. Okay. You and you'll find by the way, Sherry, we're gonna be interrupting you all throughout these nine steps. So just heads up. No worries. <laughs> okay, so understanding the existing network. It includes like understanding the quality of service and the populations that transit serves. This will help to inform future transit decisions as well as future investments. So things we want to consider and analyze when we're trying to understand the network are the current transit routes and services current and future journeys taken by car, existing transit frequencies, existing service capacity, and speeds for journeys by car. So Yeah, and one thing, I was just going to say, one thing I would just clarify for our, for our listener is that when we say transit frequencies, we're talking about how frequent, say, for instance, your bus or your train may come at that one stop. Is it every 10 minutes, every 15, every 30? What is it? So... Yeah, thanks for that clarification. Understanding the existing network, this analysis will help to inform new routes, where they should be, how many transit vehicles actually need to operate on those routes, where future development around transit could occur to create an equitable and an accessible city. So step two, you understand the network. So what's next? You want to take a whole network approach to transit planning. So transit networks should be fully integrated with things like physical planning, non-fixed route services, fares, and other operations components. So when we talk about physical planning, transit routes, both bus and rail, bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure, they should all be planned and built to connect with each other so that people can travel seamlessly from one mode to another. And this can also be done with micromobility options like e-bikes, electric scooters that people often use for last mile connections. And merging non-fixed route transit, this includes microtransit and paratransit services. So as we know, in most areas, urban and rural public transit services are offered in silos instead of as an integrated system. So although fixed route service is viewed as the foundation of the public transit system, by incorporating these non-fixed route services, we enhance and increase transit usage. Yeah, so um, I just want to make a note on that. So Modern Mobility Partners is working on a statewide transportation project with the Georgia Department of Transportation. And this is the exact focus of that, is how do you um, have more coordinated systems, especially between rural and urban areas, as well as coordinating uh, rural public transit with what is referred to as human services transportation, which is specialized transportation services for eligible participants. And in most cases, these are 
seniors, uh, youth, those with developmental disabilities, other physical disabilities, and they meet these eligibility requirements. So across the state of Georgia, we're trying to find ways to make them more coordinated and really integrate with one another. Yeah. So I threw those two terms out there, microtransit and paratransit, but you know, in the transit world, we have so many acronyms and so many terms. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna define them for y'all. <laughs> so microtransit, it's a technology-based demand response service that can complement fixed routes that serve more densely populated areas. And paratransit, it's a transportation service for people with disabilities who are unable to use fixed route transit service. And it's usually offered as a door-to-door service for people who call to reserve a ride. So like microtransit for folks is more like the scooters and stuff like that, your e-bikes or whatever, mm-hmm. or or just they don't have to be electric bikes, but, you know, your bike shares, right. whereas paratransit's like your dial-a-ride, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. By merging both of these services into our fixed route networks, that spells out a convenient and efficient transit system. And it also has reduced cost as well as increased flexibility for our transit users. So MARTA Reach is an on-demand bus shuttle service. It launched as a six-month pilot just this month on March 1st in three areas within Metro Atlanta. And it was launched to address the first and last mile challenges of transit trips in areas with less density. Sherry, just curious, what are the three areas of Metro Atlanta that they're launching this pilot? Yeah, so the MARTA Reach zones are actually West Atlanta, Belvedere, and Gillum Logistics Center. Okay. Yeah, and Belvedere is actually not far from where I live, um, just south of Decatur, and like it abuts up to, because I'm on the southern end of Decatur. So I was actually going to try it out and see how it works. So I'll let y'all know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great. So um, Gillum Logistics Center, for those that aren't familiar with Atlanta, it's south of Hartsfield-Jackson. It used to be Fort Gillum. Um, they have since turned it into a major logistical distribution and warehousing center. And we're going to talk about workforce transportation here in a little bit. But um, yeah, good information. Thanks, Sherry. Yeah, sure. Miss All-Knowing know, all of Atlanta. <laughs> I know, right? She's our little historian. She is. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not born and raised here, but I've been here a long time. (laughs) Yeah. So another component of looking at this, looking at transit planning as a like a whole network and a whole approach is integrated fares. So integrated payment systems allow transit users to pay only once and receive one form of transit fare for trips that may occur over multiple modes. Future transit systems should also look into contactless payment options. Agencies today are actually moving away from traditional fare boxes and transitioning to more contactless options, which speeds up the boarding by allowing all door boarding and it's low touch. And another component is the single agency administrator. So a single agency to manage all transportation systems in a given area is something that has been proven successful. So Transport for London is actually a good example. They manage London's metro, their bus and tram systems, the city's bicycle infrastructure, taxis, and water buses. So other areas that can be integrated into the transit system of the future is land use, particularly the concept of transit-oriented development and prioritizing equitable access to social and economic opportunities within communities. 
Yeah. So backing up to uh, Transport for London, um, I've had an opportunity to talk with them in the past. And I mean, I, I think you're right, Sherry. I think it's an excellent model. Like London has got their stuff together. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything is under one umbrella, like and like everything is so integrated and they've been doing the touchless or contactless payment for a long time, like several years. Yeah. Whether it's been by phone or using your debit or credit cards. And like, it's just so seamless. And I went there without a cell phone. Well, I had a cell phone, but I was only on wireless because I was trying to be cheap. And I was trying to (laughs) uh, plan. I was trying to do all my trip planning by like looking at their route maps, like when I had Wi-Fi and like writing Mm -hmm. everything down and then just like going out there and like trying to like remember everything that I was supposed to do. But it made it so easy. I never got lost. Yeah. Well, I got lost once, but that was walking, not on transit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, great example. Yeah. Yeah, it's on my bucket list. Haven't haven't used the system yet, but it's on my bucket list. So step three, we want to redesign street space to incorporate transit infrastructure. So most streets are designed for automobiles first. In some cases, streets may need to be redesigned to allow for adequate space for transit vehicles, bicyclists, and pedestrians, as well as automobiles. When people actually see that streets can be shared with other modes of transportation, they are often encouraged to use the services that they see. So redesigning street space for public transit must be part of a longer-term planning process. This includes allocating street space for street-level transit services like light rail and bus rapid transit, traffic prioritization of transit vehicles along with bicyclists and pedestrians over personal automobiles, as well as allowing space for bus shelters and other amenities for transit users to improve the user experience. Y'all, so by the way, I know Mm -hmm. we've talked about it on previous episodes, but do you remember us talking (laughs) about the shared space on Peachtree Street? Yes, yes. So... Yes. Yes. Okay. So for for our listener that isn't isn't aware, there was a demonstration project on Peachtree Street, which is in the heart of downtown. It's the heartbeat of Atlanta. I mean, it's the the main street in Atlanta if you've been to downtown. Um, And they converted it to this shared space concept and left room for the MARTA bus to pull off and stop. They widened the sidewalks and provided bike lanes and like put up barriers and like. It was, we saw, I can't remember what percentage increase of pedestrians, but we saw a huge increase in pedestrians downtown, a decrease in automobiles, except for those that needed to like travel to or from downtown. It was a really well done demonstration project and the city has now decided to take it down. And I don't know if they're going to move forward with permanent plans. Yeah, but I don't think they took it down because of performance issues. It was more of public and political stuff. As with every project, yes. not everybody agrees. And so there was op- opposition to the to the project. I think also for a demonstration, they did have the demonstration up for like 270 days. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they weren't really planning on maintaining it for that long. Mm-hmm. So I think okay. I think I hope that the city is thinking about a permanent redesign for Peachtree Street and accounting for this ongoing operation and maintenance costs. But uh, it was it was a really neat project and 
And I hope we start to see it at other places. I know. And we were part of it. Yeah. So, yeah. We got Kirsten out there, pictures, getting the demo mm-hmm. set up. Yep. I'm, I'm painting <laughs> stripes on the road. I'm moving planters. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, step four. We want to improve the transit user experience in the future transit systems. So many cities suffer from transit systems that are viewed as inefficient. The hours of service don't align with other systems. The systems don't cover areas that they should, or they're just not easy to use. Many agencies have opted to redesigning their bus networks as a way to improve their service standards. Some of the goals of transit network redesigns are minimizing overlapping service and maximizing service coverage, creating a system that is easy and practical for use, providing high frequency and reliable services, as well as serving bus stops that are regularly spaced out. So every few blocks, this will allow easy access for users. A couple of things agencies should keep in mind when redesigning their networks is to think beyond the nine to five commute and to create services that are more resilient. So those are two things that have definitely come out of COVID-19 for sure. So mm-hmm. the transit system yep. of the future should definitely take those into account. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think your point about thinking beyond nine to five is incredibly important. So I mentioned the statewide study that that we're working on between rural and human services. And as a part of that process, the number one thing that we've heard from writers, providers, counties, uh, everybody, is that there needs to be more of a focus, especially on the rural side, to have workforce transportation. And there's a need statewide and probably, I would guess, across the nation to expand hours to provide service to those third shift workers, Mm -hmm. especially those in the warehousing and distribution industries, uh, which is so vital to the economy of the Mm -hmm. U.S. with e-commerce and We've done an episode on e-commerce, and that's why I'm really happy to hear that there's that microtransit service in the Gillum Logistics area. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that that pilot is accounting for those non-traditional hours to I don't think it is, actually, because when I was, yeah, when I was looking it up the other day, like, it doesn't go very far. (laughs) <laughs> well, so it doesn't have to go very far. No, like into the n- evening. Oh, into the evening. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I hope that there are more pilots out there that are that are thinking about this to provide that overnight service or supplement your traditional transportation services during those overnight hours. That's just me pontificating about workforce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so step five. We need to invest in the future transit system now, like today, maybe even yesterday. (laughs) So we know Mm -hmm. COVID-19 hit transit budgets hard due to decreased or no fare revenues while they still had to operate their services. So for the Mm -hmm. successful transit system of the future, we need to start investing now. Agencies should lay out their vision of their public transit systems, what they want it to look like as this will help build community and political support. Also coordinate with stakeholders who will be integral in planning and constructing this system. And all of this will actually make it easier to secure funds to make the system a reality. So some funding sources for transit include grants provided by FTA, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, or the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, 
This provides more than $108 billion for public transit over the next five years. And these investments will help communities across the nation tackle climate change, advance equity, meet growing and evolving mobility demands, and even create jobs. And I'll just add that this is a real infusion of funds um, above and beyond historic levels for transit. So it's really exciting. So some state and local funding sources include the motor fuel tax, which is it can be used in some states depending on the legislation. So not every state allows motor fuel taxes to go to go towards transit. Then there's also property taxes, income tax, as well as user fees. Yeah, and I would just add real quick, Sherry, so like in Georgia, right now, as of today, um, motor fuel taxes cannot be used for transit, but there is legislation being proposed right now so that um, at the state level so that it can be used for transit. So hopefully that'll pass here in the next month. We'll see. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll see. That'll be a big deal. That'll (laughs) be a big deal for Georgia. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you talk about income tax, I think we can also add sales tax in there. So mm-hmm. I know that, you know, the sales tax is what's used primarily for MARTA. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sales taxes, like what they refer to as special local option sales tax mm-hmm. can be used for transportation improvements. Although I'm not sure that every county could use that for transit services. But I would imagine that in some places it can be. Yeah. And then some financing options include general obligation bonds, revenue bonds, tax increment bonds, private bonds, as well as the Transportation Infrastructure and Innovations Act or TIFIA program. So step six, we get into the fun stuff, the technology advancements. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Drum roll. So so the shift to electric vehicles. Before COVID-19, transit agencies were moving in the direction of electric vehicle fleets. And making headlines just this week was the first agency to complete its transition to a fully zero emissions fleet in the U.S. And that was Antelope Valley Transit Authority in California. So something to note also, California has a mandate in place. So they're 18 years ahead of schedule, which is pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. 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 And of course, there's a lot of funding coming in for electric vehicles also with the bipartisan infrastructure law. Mm-hmm. So that helps significantly. And hopefully mm-hmm. we'll get the supply chain issues figured out because right now nobody can get a transit vehicle. <laughs> yeah. <geez. laughs> like they're on Minor like, detail. they're on back order for like two or three years. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So some of the benefits of electric vehicles include lower fuel and maintenance costs, improved performance, lower emissions, energy security, and there are some environmental justice benefits as well. So there are a million and one things that need to be done when planning to transition to an electric vehicle, but I'm only going to name a few. Um, We need to develop a transition plan. So that would include how are we going to procure those buses, how and where buses will be charged, the maintenance of the vehicles, and training operators to use these new vehicles. And before we can procure the buses, It's important to conduct a detailed analysis to get a better understanding of things like the vehicle's range, route prioritization, the cost of owning these vehicles, a procurement model, as well as product availability. And designing and implementing a pilot program to answer several questions, because there will be many, like bus reliability, effective range, 
Getting the driver's feedback, what's the charging time? And then you also want the passenger's reaction to these new vehicles. Sherry, can we go back to a minute to the benefits as it relates to of electric vehicles as it relates to environmental justice? Is the thought around that that obviously electric vehicles will have lower emissions? And so that basically you're not disproportionately impacting um, underserved communities that are more dependent on transit. Is that the thought around it? Yep, that's correct. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Kelly gets a point. Bonus point. Gold star. Gold star. (laughs) We're going to start giving out stickers. (laughs) So with the bipartisan infrastructure law, there is a lot of money available for electric vehicles. So the Notice of Funding Opportunity, or NOVO, came out earlier this month for the low and no emission and grants for buses and bus facilities. So the low-no program supports the transition of the nation's transit fleet to the lowest polluting and most energy-efficient transit vehicles. And this opportunity has about $1.1 billion in competitive grants available. And the Buses and Bus Facilities Program assists in financing buses and bus facility capital projects. And this one has about $372 million available. And something to note, an applicant of the Low-No Program can submit a low-emissions project to both the Low-No Program and the Buses and Bus Facility Program. So step seven. Kelly, this one is probably one of your favorites, integrating autonomous vehicles. (laughs) You know me so well. (laughs) So we've all heard this term autonomous vehicles and we've heard that it's coming. But an autonomous vehicle is a vehicle that can sense the surrounding environment and basically drive itself partially or entirely without input from a human driver. Autonomous vehicles are tackling parts of the last mile challenge encountered by transit users today. Autonomous vehicles are viewed as key elements that connect public transit systems and could reduce personal automobile usage and ownership in the future. So with these vehicles incorporated into the transit systems, they can empower low-income and disabled populations, viably fill in gaps in the transportation network and provide first and last mile connections to fixed routes, as well as reduce congestion and costs. There have been several pilot programs that have emerged across the country to experiment with autonomous vehicles to help agencies achieve their transit goals. The Jacksonville Transportation Authority has invested in autonomous transit through its ultimate urban circulator program. This program is actually the first of its kind and will expand Jacksonville's downtown circulator or the automated Skyway Express to provide more frequent service as well as extend service to nearby neighborhoods. So is that elevated track? Because I'm, you know, I'm from Florida and I've spent a little bit of time in Jacksonville and I remember the, the Skyway, you know, track and it was, but it was elevated. And so are they just putting an autonomous vehicle on it or is there something else they're doing? Do we know that? No. So I I think it's I think it's similar to the vehicles that are provided at Hartsfield Jackson over to the rental car facility. Those are autonomous. Okay. Um, And they're on an elevated track. Yeah. And so I I, I think from what I remember about this, it's it's a similar type of system. I don't know that it's exactly the same because I know the rail over at Hartsfield Jackson was incredibly expensive. So they may have found Mm -hmm, a more mm -hmm. cost effective way to do it. And I think that, you know, they're 
they're trying to expand that system, but there is no driver on those vehicles and it's on a fixed track. Okay. Yeah. So I was a part of, we, we tried to get funding for one of these pilot programs for a bus to around Hartsfield Jackson. And it would go from one of the MARTA stations over to the international terminal at Hartsfield Jackson. There's a gap in service there. And it like, it's out there. Like we, we had identified a bus and everything that needed to go on the bus to make it fully autonomous. It was really cool. It would have been a really, really cool project, but we did not get the funding. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really kind of just an automated monorail system, I think, for Jacksonville. Yeah. It's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But this was okay. a rubber tire, like the one we were going after, rubber tire going right. through like residential neighborhoods, making yeah, turns. That's a- yeah. Going across railroad deal. tracks. <laughs> mm, <yeah>, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So step eight, give the transit system a branding makeover. So the overall look and feel of transit vehicles and stations, stops and terminals can often discourage people from using public transit. Agencies create marketing campaigns, or new branding to improve their image and even increase ridership today. A transit systems makeover should highlight a couple of things. You want to talk about personal stories about people who have benefited from using public transit. If there are employees at your agency who use transit every day, maybe not every day, but frequently, that's even better. You want to practice what you preach. Like, that's always the way to go, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... There should be a unique but compelling branding strategy that gives a system a clear identity. So that's something that we see with BRT systems across the country. You see that BRT is different from the local transit system, and you know that it has its own unique design. So you know what system that is. Mm -hmm. And then the final step, the use of new technologies and applications. So the public transit industry is going through many changes with the introduction of new technologies to improve users' expectations and ultimately their experiences. Transit agencies were not at all prepared for COVID-19. In the event of another pandemic, fingers crossed, not in this lifetime, agencies must have tools in place to make quick adjustments to their current services and even test out different routing scenarios for various events. One emerging technology is mobility as a service, which we mentioned earlier. This is essentially a mobile app that combines trip planning, fare payments, and various forms of transit and mobility options in a region all at the palm of your hands. In the next episode, we'll actually go into five steps for planning for mobility as a service. So we'll just save the details for episode 13. Yeah, we don't want to steal Candace's thunder. (laughs) (laughs) So online mobile ticketing and booking. So this has actually become more available to microtransit and paratransit services today. This tool allows people to book their own trips, giving them more control over their own trips and reduces the need for call centers. And these revenues can actually be used elsewhere. And then real-time passenger information. So this type of technology will allow potential transit users to make informed decisions on which bus or train to take and at what time based on its current capacity or to opt for another mode of transportation. 
Real-time passenger information allows for capacity control on vehicles, transit stops, as well as transit platforms. There are some real-time passenger information components of existing apps that share on average when a transit vehicle is typically full and at what locations. Yeah, so um, I, I think that we're ending on a really good topic here. We did a recent survey for that statewide plan, and what we heard from people who do not ride transit is that if they had more real-time information and felt like the transit system was more reliable and getting them to like time-sensitive trips, then they would be more willing to take transit. So I think, you know, to uh, encourage more people to use transit, providing that information is going to be essential. So people just like, you know, when you pull up maps on your phone and you're about to drive somewhere, you know exactly or about how long it's going to take you to get to that location. They need the same type of information for their transit services. Yeah, good point. Well, Sherry, you did a fantastic job. No. A lot of good, juicy information. Yeah. I mean, I can give you more. Do you want more? <laughs> <laughs> We're about 45 minutes I mean, in. You know, transit's my obsession. So we can continue. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it all day long. <laughs> So I think, you know, I'm just thinking about kind of what's my big takeaway from this. You know, really, it's that transit has a lot of different puzzle pieces within it. And it's also a major puzzle piece of part of the overall transportation ecosystem. And um, I think a lot of times folks think of individual modes having the responsibility. And when I say modes, I mean whether it's transit, you know, bus, rail or vehicles or what have you, having the sole responsibility of solving our congestion or safety or access problems. And it's not. They all have to work together collectively as a transportation ecosystem so that all folks have access, you know, to jobs, to, you know, to food, to whatever. And um, so I just think that we need to be always thinking about our transportation ecosystem more holistically and just transit is such a huge piece of that going forward and improving the rider experience, I think is a really big part of that. And the trends that we're experiencing now are not the trends of the future. It's just going to continue being, you know, the younger people that use transit more in many cases or are not as reliable on the car you know, there's going to, they're going to get older and those old geezers like ourselves, me, you know, we're going to get older and then, (laughs) and then we're going to need an autonomous vehicle to drive us around because our kids are going to take our driver's license away from us. (laughs) And your kids aren't going to have a driver's license either. (laughs) Exactly. And I can tell you right now, my kids will be the first one to yank it away from me. I mean, I am 46 years old and I am proud of it. But my children think that I'm old as like I'll get out. But my 16 year old has actually said to me that when I'm 52, they're putting me in a home. (laughs) I'm like, seriously, not 92, but 52. (laughs) But yeah, that's how they look at me. That's funny. I think um, I think my biggest takeaway is the resilience piece. I think a lot of this stuff is really exciting about like 
the electric vehicles and the autonomous mm-hmm. and the mobility as a service and like all of that is really great. But I think, you know, the biggest takeaway that I'm hearing is that as we plan for transit in the future, we need to make sure that it's resilient to disruptors mm-hmm. just like anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Because transit has been hit really, really hard over the last couple of years. And it was making really great momentum right before that with higher yeah. riderships. And then it just all crashed. So I think, you know, this is um, a mode that really needs a lot of protection because I think it's very vulnerable to our political system in some ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard to communicate why transit is so important. So protecting it from, you know, future disruptors, whether it's another pandemic, let's hope not, um, mm-hmm. or some, or mm-hmm. something else yeah. that decreases ridership, I think is, is going to be vital. Yeah. Well, Sherry, any other closing points before we uh, log off here? I don't think so. No, you good. I think I think you covered everything, huh? I didn't. I told you I could no. keep going. <laughs> we'll have to do a part two for uh, yeah, for season we'll three. Part two. Yeah, exactly. Well, we want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you are a nationally certified planner through the American Institute of Certified Planners, this episode is eligible for AICP continuing maintenance credits. Uh, you can find all podcasts eligible for AICP CM credits on the American Planning Association website at www.planning.org. All you got to do is type in Modern Mobility Partners and all of our episodes will come up. If you want to learn more about how Modern Mobility Partners can help, you can find us at modernmobilitypartners.com. Uh, you can also find a free downloadable cheat sheet from today's episode on the website as well. And as always, don't forget to subscribe and even better review our podcast. You can find us on all of your podcast listening apps. And with that, we are over and out. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Mobility. If you work for an organization that has implemented innovative and practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges and are interested in being on our podcast, email us at podcast at modernmobilitypartners.com. Want to learn more about our consulting services? Check us out at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.